Sunday, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Let us hear these holy words. When they had come near Jerusalem and reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to what, fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Once again, we say a word of greeting on this Palm Sunday. We also say a special word of greeting to those in Carlisle, those in Wynn, those in Lone Oak, those in our hospitals across the state, in particular, those who were hospitalized as a result of the effects of the tornado. Our prayers are certainly with you. Now, before I start my sermon this morning, I want to say a couple of words. My sermon will be a little bit shorter than it usually is on a Palm Sunday but I think it's uh, important that we address, of course, the matters of what we've gone through the last couple of days. A number of families in our church have been displaced, have lost their homes, uh, businesses obviously have been affected, lives have been uprooted in a variety of ways. My sermon title, you will notice, is not what we expected. I put that sermon title together last Monday, having, of course, no idea what was going on by the end of the week, but it is not what we expected. And we have to rally as a church to provide not only for those in our congregation, but for those literally affected across the state of Arkansas and even beyond. That's what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that. Tomorrow morning, the clergy will gather together. We're going to establish a plan of action about what to do. But you'll hear more about this in a little bit. But I do want you to be generous. This church is always generous. We asked you to be generous recently with the Habitat build, but this is extraordinary in terms of the volume of what is gonna have to be rebuilt. And there are ways in which you can give online. More information will be given later on in our service about how to do that. There are big ways that you're gonna be able to volunteer. We don't know what all that looks like yet, but we'll put all of that together. We'll provide that information for you and we want you to participate. One of the things we'd also like for you to do, you will notice I have an orange bracelet on. We ordered these some time ago. It says on there, believe, belong, be loved, P-H-U-M-C. Right now, this is going to be a bracelet of solidarity that we believe that God is in the midst of all the suffering and pain, that we belong to an institution we call the church that is gonna do great good, and we are loved as a result. They're all over the church today. I hope you'll take one. I hope you'll give one to somebody else and let them know that this is our way of, in a special way, recognizing our solidarity one with the other and how important it is to remember 
that we are the church of Jesus Christ. And the church will be there for those who are in need and for those who have an opportunity to do something, we're gonna take full advantage of the opportunity to do so. And I wanna say one other thing. I heard this when I was in Houston, when we went through Hurricane Harvey, we had 51 inches of rain in four days. Almost 500 families in my church at that time lost their homes completely, flooding up to the second floor in many of those homes. There were those who would pontificate and those who would uh, exaggerate and those who were just blatantly wrong saying that this was God's wrath. Now, there are already people saying that about this tornado. That is highly offensive to God and to everybody who's been affected. So let's remember that. The reality is, and it's just the way it is, that tornadoes and earthquakes and hurricanes and all of those kinds of things, natural disasters were around long before we were. And if you live in certain parts of the country, you're gonna be affected by tornadoes. That's always a possibility. If you live in the Northeast, get ready for staggering amounts of snow in the winter time. That's because you live where it has always snowed a lot. If you live on the West Coast, get ready for earthquakes because those are where earthquakes tend to be most prevalent. If you live on the coast, get ready for hurricanes. In other words, those things have always existed, but people wanna come along and say, this is somehow God's wrath. It is not God's wrath. It is a part of nature. It is something, quite frankly, that we may understand scientifically, but we don't really understand why it affects people the way it does, why so many people have to be hurt, but what we do know is in the midst of all that, we believe in a God who is the God of all creation and that God expects us to rally together and do what we need to do to be the church of Jesus Christ. So Pulaski Heights is gonna do that. We're gonna find the ways to do that. You're Pulaski Heights. We're gonna give you a plan. We're gonna participate. We're gonna be generous as well. We're all gonna make it happen. That's the way it is. That's who we are and that's what we're all about. Let's pray. Oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, Prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. I love pomp and circumstance and ritual. The inauguration of the President of the United States is always a big deal. Gala events, dignitaries from around the world, worship services, the swearing in of the President of the United States in front of hundreds of thousands of people who are present as well as people across the world watching on television. I like pomp and circumstance and ritual. It's a big deal. I can't wait for the coronation of King Charles III. They've been planning that literally for years with all the regalia and all the history that goes into something like that. I like pomp and circumstance. I like ritual. When it's time for a new pope to be elected, they go back centuries with regard to how it is they let the world know a new pope has been elected. They could easily put it online. They don't do that. They do it the old way. If they take a vote and no one is elected, black smoke comes from the chimney. If there is a pope elected, it is white smoke. It is ritual. It is the way it has been done. It is a part of tradition. I like pomp and circumstance, I like tradition, I like ritual, I think that's one of the things I appreciate most about worship. We can go back generations and people oftentimes sing the same hymns that we sing, recite the same prayers that we recite. 
A long time ago, Jesus participated in pomp and circumstance, in ritual. By now, he was popular. There were all kinds of ideas about who he was out there, but people knew his name. He says to some of his closest followers, go and get a donkey and bring it. And in a triumphal way, with pomp and circumstance and ceremony, he rides into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And people, used to doing this when a great king comes in, lay down their cloaks on the ground. That's the way you did it. It was part of the ritual. Shouting, Hosanna. But something was different about this one. When kings rode into town, they rode on the back of a stallion, a sign of power and might and authority. But Jesus comes in on the back of a donkey, a borrowed donkey at that. See, Jesus was used to borrowing things. That's how he was born into the world. His parents borrowed a cattle stall for him to be born in. Remember, Jesus did not have a home that he went to every night. Someone says, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And he said, you need to remember that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had to borrow a place to sleep at night regularly. Jesus had to borrow a donkey because most of the time he walked from place to place. And we know that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. As Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, it is not what they expected. He is on the back of a donkey. That is a symbol of humility and peace, not of great power and might. What do people do with that? Well, by the end of the week, the ones who have shouted Hosanna and laid their cloaks on the ground are the ones screaming, crucify him. See, when people don't measure up, when they don't meet our expectations, sometimes we revolt. Sometimes we get angry, frustrated. But Jesus' whole ministry was unorthodox. It was unusual. Why would it be any different when he enters into Jerusalem? Jesus was the king of all kings, but the kind of people he associated with were not the elite the establishment. They were the downtrodden and the dirty and the broken and the ostracized and the alienated and the neglected and the rejected. But people had high hopes for this one named Jesus. He is the one we have been waiting for, is he not? Well, how can he be? We have been waiting for one for generations who had come riding on a white stallion, a sign of power and might and authority, ready to conquer anyone who stands before him. But Jesus, he's on the back of a donkey. That's not what we expected. That's not what we want. When people don't measure up, even if our standards are unrealistic, we can be sorely disappointed and we can suddenly choose to reject them altogether. When I was in high school, I used to listen to a radio station, and there was a woman DJ on there who had the silkiest, smoothest, and yes, sexiest voice I had ever heard. 
And in my own mind, I had an image of what this woman looked like, and I wanted to meet her. And I am telling you, my dream came true because a buddy of mine who lived up the street got a job at that very radio station. And I said, listen, man, whatever you do, please just give me a chance to meet her. John, she's probably 20, 30 years older than you. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference. I just want to meet her. I listen to her every day. I'm her biggest fan. So he said, well, don't expect a whole lot. I said, oh, listen, man, don't you worry. I don't expect much. I just expect to meet her and fall desperately in love in the moment. <laughs> so one day he made arrangements. He said, we'll come up there and we can look in the window while she's on the air and you can see her. And at a commercial, we'll go in and you can shake her hand and meet her and then get out of there. I said, man, I love you. I love you. Thank you for making that happen. And so the day came all day long at school. I was excited about it. And I was telling people I was going to meet her and everything else. And that afternoon, I went to the radio station with my buddy. And we went up to the glass window. And there she was. Nothing like what I thought she would be. A wonderful human being, I am sure, but my expectations were so high and so great, and she didn't meet him at all. And I said to him, that's all right, I don't need to meet her. I don't have time. I need to get back. I didn't even meet her. I just left. Well, that's not her fault. She looked the way she looked. She was who she was. But I had created such expectations about what she was going to be like that when she didn't measure up to my standard... I discounted her altogether, but it came back on me. A number of years later, I was serving a church. We were on the radio in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. One Sunday, a couple came up to me and said, we listen to you on the radio every Sunday. We love your preaching. You're terrific, and we just wanted to hear you in person. My head was swelling up. I was so excited, and the woman said to me, well, thank you for the worship service today. It was our pleasure to be here, and then she said, but I got to tell you, you don't look anything like your voice sounds. <laughs> and she walked away. I've never seen her since. <laughs> I didn't measure up. Certain expectations. Would that be the case with Jesus? That crowd of people convinced they know who he is and they know what to expect and they had created for themselves an understanding of who he is and he comes in on a donkey a sign of humility, peace. We'll turn our back on anyone who doesn't measure up, no matter how much of a fan we might be to begin with. If they don't meet our expectations, we'll cut them off. We do that with politicians all the time. They can be voted into office and get record number of votes. And if they don't measure up, the next thing you know, they no longer hold the position. We can go see a movie with the newest and the greatest of all actors and actresses. And they can have a big hit and be box, off, box office sensations, but if they have one movie that bombs, we always ask ourselves, whatever happened to so-and-so? Someone can be a great athlete, hit the game-winning shot. They're the hero. The next game, they take a shot at the end, and they miss. And the first thing we say is, why didn't you pass the ball to somebody else? It can be fleeting. It doesn't last long. 
All those who were excited about Jesus. Here he is finally, triumphantly comes in to the great city of Jerusalem. We have been waiting. Our grandparents would give anything to be here. Wait a minute. That's a donkey. What do we do with people like that? Jesus was clearly declaring, and everybody would have known it, that he comes in peace. But else, what else would we expect from the one who said, turn the other cheek, love those who hate you, and pray for those who curse you? What else would we expect? We expected so much more. That's what we expected. And he doesn't measure up. Jesus never changed. He always remained the same with regard to his fundamental message of grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. But the crowd changed with regard to their willingness to accept him. We do that to people. We did it to Jesus. He's not what we expected. He may not be what we expected. But by golly, he's what we needed. The Savior of the world comes in peace, ready to offer grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. By Friday, the crowd would shout, the same crowd would shout, crucify him. But he never changed. He always was and will always be just who he is. The God of grace, wrapped in flesh. The one who forgives and the one who would even die for us. But he's not what we expected. But forever and ever, he's just who we needed. Hallelujah. Amen.